Hello, welcome everybody. Terrifying enlightenment. What episode are we up to right now? That's the second one of this semester. Yeah, so it's coming <laughs> closer to the microphone there, Shark. Yeah. Um, in terms of the yeah, ones we've been live on, I think about it's... About eight? About eight, but in terms of the ones that we're, we have online, it'll be the fifth. Cool, cool. Um, so I've got a full house here today. We've got my girlfriend Sharon. Hi. We've got Sean, the philosopher. Hello. We've got Crystal, the self-improvement expert and cryptocurrency man and just enlightened general awesome guy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and we've got Ahmed from UCD. He's studying a master's in mechanical engineering. That's correct. That's cool. All right. So we're, I'm going to let Crystal ask a few questions, set the scene. Let's go, Crystal. Yeah, well, I, I think it's only fitting that last week we chose the topic of the shadow. This week I was thinking the mechanics of life. Mm-hmm. We kind of talk about the mechanics of life anyway, but we finally have a mechanical thinker here that can call us out on our bullshit. Ahmed, the, w- one of the biggest reasons I wanted to get you on the show is not only because of your... You've got a very calm and energy, dude. Like <laughs> you, you, you know when you just... You, you just you can feel that someone's a real good person, um, but also intelligent. When I asked you what you do and what you're studying, and then to find out that you're also a Muslim, mm-hmm. um, so I just found it an interesting oxymoron a paradox mm-hmm. where a spiritual practitioner mm-hmm. right in some sense also studies something so mechanical and scientific and mm-hmm. um, so do you want to tell us how you got started in with your studies it would go back to something very basic where i was really interested in anything mechanical you know taking things apart and whatnot that's usually the cliched story you would say you could say that but um my bachelor's was in aerospace engineering and the reason behind that was I just loved airplanes. I just loved aircrafts, space shuttles and whatnot. Um, always was fascinated by it and just wanted to know how to build one. And now I know how to build one, but uh, no one wants me to build one. So, <laughs> 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 so yeah, then I decided, okay, let's take a step back. Let's do some mechanical engineering. And then, you know, um, now I can delve deeper into different aspects of engineering and whatnot and you know people will start giving me jobs now so yeah what's the one of the first things you started to take apart that you can remember and like deconstruct oh, gosh oh my god um i think most of my toys maybe mm. uh <laughs> yeah yeah so, uh like remote control cars and whatnot uh, didn't understand the electronics of it yeah. that's why i'm not studying electronic engineering so <laughs> there you go yeah just bang hammer that's how it works so yeah. <laughs> and are you, are you enjoying it are you finding it interesting oh yeah yeah it is definitely very interesting i mean it is challenging uh but at the same time it's rewarding as well mm. um just knowing how to go about things taking them apart and then just figuring out how they work um and then being able to take that into any kind of product or thing any object it is you know and just being able to put it back together and be like, okay, it still works, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to do. Yeah, cool. it's interesting. It's um, we talk a lot about taking our minds apart in this show <laughs> uh, and putting them back together. Yeah, and, uh, it's just interesting. That's why I thought it would be really cool to have you on the show because mm-hmm. uh, you could probably link yeah, some links, of the philosophical yeah. things. And I, I I suppose mark your knowledge with psychology in the brain and how that's built, and then Sharon. You body. have, you know, great knowledge of the body, the being body a physiotherapist. And then we have the philosopher Sean <laughs> over here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So how, how can we combine all of this? How can we like be like? Do you know what we should do? We should be like Care Bears and just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen Have you ever seen the Care Bears? No, I don't. It was a, it was a cartoon, and they all had hearts on okay. their. Was it hearts that they had? Well, I think it was like they all had different things. Like one of them was a rainbow, yeah. one of them was a heart, and so on. Okay. Yeah. 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 So and then they all joined. If we all forces. care strong enough, <laughs> we can change the world. Care bears dare. Yeah. <laughs> or else, okay, something more related. How about um, what was his name? Captain Planet. That's they all had the rings and that. I don't know that one. But our yeah. powers combined, we are <laughs> Captain Planet. <laughs> and, and then they all combined into the superhero that like had an icy face kind of thing, and he just could do anything. He's basically Superman, but it only worked when all of their powers were combined. Ah, so basically, the message there was keep a cool head. Well, look, right, to tie in the whole mechanics thing, something I've been looking at recently is the, obviously, I deal with the body as a physiotherapist, um, but we all know that there's links with the mind and the body, so the body's mechanics can be affected by faulty systems in our brain, in our mind. What do you all think of that? Yeah, that's, yeah, psychosomatic. (laughs) Absolutely, and trauma-related. Yeah. been reading books about this and wow yeah go on tell the us bo- tell us book more. I'm reading is called The Body Keeps the Score and it keeps the score who wrote it? Um, Bessel van der Kolk very scientific very research heavy um, shocking shocking things in it Ab- like just absolutely shocking but his his treatment approach then I'm only getting to it now but I know he's very holistic in his treatment approach as a psychiatrist rather than talking about things one of the things he proves in the book is that talking after trauma doesn't work because during the trauma the rational brain shuts down which is left side talking you can't talk about your traumatic experiences it's not going to fix it so he goes holistic into yoga and meditations and more spiritual practices now I haven't completed that treatment part of the book but this is coming from a psychiatrist and I really hope Mark is going to read the book after because I think he could get a lot from it yeah I'd like to read that he's done extensive research like it's just shocking What's, what's your view Sean on like how <coughs> your body necessarily reacts to your mind and your mind reacts to your body and the connection between the two or whether they're separate at all oh yeah they're totally totally connected um, like tension tension creates like so much like mental tension creates so much physical tension and then that can have like so many I mean I don't, I don't know the the mechanics of it um, but I mean it's pretty obvious that stress is really bad for the body and um, like depression, if you have depression, you know you're more likely to have all these other sorts of physical ailments. And people with mental health problems, like serious mental health problems, would have a lot of um, comorbidities with you know really serious physical health problems, and they're much like more likely to die early. Mm-hmm. People with serious mental health problems, but they are on heavy med, serious medica- med- medication as well. So there's a bit of interaction with that I suppose which again this book is well from <coughs> a psychiatrist he's just kind of against the like he, he, he even says that the field and the, the diagnostic manual and everything the DSM-5 is just he goes completely against it because it's it's not it's masking things in people and people are, are not recovering from meds they're not recovering from talking therapy from, from traumatic experiences from a very young age so, DSM-5 yeah. is just a manual full of very vague uh, labels you can put on someone you meet in order to give them medication. Mm-hmm. So someone come in and they could say, "Oh, I've got this, this, this around me." So they look it up in a book and they go, "Okay, you've got three. If I've got three out of seven symptoms, 
or more of this than you have schizophrenia. So you're sad sometimes, right? Yeah, okay, you're sad. <laughs> mm. Mm. You, you do worry? Yes, I worry. Oh, worry. Just yes, part and parcel of all mm. of these do things, you, <laughs> you know? Do you sometimes have... Um, uh, do you sometimes cry? Oh, yes, I cry sometimes. Oh, yes, I'm afraid you've got schizophrenia. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they, they can then give that person medication. Now, obviously, there's that's that's a, a very negative viewpoint. But at the same time, it's got quite a lot of truth to it and that everything is just vague. And really, they don't know what is going on with people because they don't understand the mind. We're still donkey's years behind in terms of consciousness and things like that uh, and then I recognise pretty quickly that a lot of the stuff that they're teaching in colleges is, is literally guesswork mm-hmm. and they're going ah we think this is what he is <laughs> so uh, yeah how's your mental health Ahmed? <laughs> well, I have a question for Ahmed yeah, yeah. go ahead from I, I would see now the body as a mechanical thing mm-hmm. I do see it as it is a machine in a sense it's something that works for us and if something goes wrong in one part of the machinery it can have knock-on effects to everywhere else from your kind of mechanical perspective with machines and things that you work with would you see it like that too similar things happening to machines and happening to people (laughs) i would certainly think so i mean uh, if one part of your body let's say for example even just a tiny finger is not working properly your whole idea of how to go about your day changes how you eat food how you drink you just go about everything um, similarly if a machine breaks down something goes wrong on one end of a wing mm. the whole plane is going to fall apart so don't scare the shit out of me <laughs> keep that to a minimum <laughs> <laughs> I'm traveling to Vietnam in March <laughs> um, so yeah yeah so that that's my take on it so uh, yeah. basically if something is wrong like even a tiny part of something is wrong <laughs> you need to fix that you know yeah. in movies when there's someone sick on the plane, they're like, we need a doctor. And someone jumps up, I'm a doctor. This is, I'm just like, we need an aerospace engineer. I'm an aerospace engineer. Yes. Yeah, and, then, and then he just starts crawling out to the wing and you can just see him with the wind. Is coming. Do, do you remember Father Ted had to get really brave and hold on to the wheel of the plane? Anyway. So uh, your accent is, is like varied. I'm catching a little bit of American in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Where are you from? Um, I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia. Cool. Uh, spent 18 years there, finished my high school, uh, moved to Malaysia for my bachelor's. Um, had American friends, watched a lot of friends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, loads of English movies and then took a gap here in India and then I ended up here. So, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so how long have you been in Ireland? Uh, a year and a half now. Yeah. How did yeah. you find it? Eh, not so bad. I love Better it. Better than the States? Uh, I've never been to the States actually. Oh really? Oh. Yeah, yeah. M- Malaysia and India. Malaysia and India. How Saudi Arabia. You, you've got American friends. American yeah. friends. Exactly. Who's your yeah. favorite character? Um, out of, out of out friends. friends. <laughs> Has to be Chandler. Has to be. Same. Well, yeah. I say that, yeah. and then afterwards I'm like, oh, but Phoebe, and then I'm like, <laughs> oh, but Ross. <laughs> it's really difficult. <laughs> Funny thing about friends, I think each of those characters, I think each of them, those characters they portray is in every one of us yeah yeah and i think that's why we all love friends so much yeah because yeah, yeah, yeah. we're all it's a little bit of in every one of them yeah, yeah at yeah. some point and yeah. they just got it spot on they really did yeah. <laughs> never gets old but it was apart from just actually friends hanging out all the time because we never get to see anyone anymore you're just like in your own world you're too busy to actually meet unless it's like a radio show where it's mm-hmm. like we have to be here at this time oh, oh. damn it <laughs> okay i have things to do though i know me too but let's just meet <laughs> whereas in friends true. it's like they're always together anyway yeah that's true 
I always think, um, I always wish that I was with my, my friends from Cyprus, the ones, you know, you have your, your close circle. Mm-hmm. Fine, Crystal. Have Whatever. your favorites. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just saying because I don't, I don't, I don't even get to see. We live in the same country. It's easier. Yeah. I don't live in the same country as them. But it, you know, you always think, bloody hell, it would just be great if you lived close to the people that you connect best with. Mm. You know. Coming back to Ahmed's, Ahmed's, sorry, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Point. Um, the way you mentioned it could be something really small that mm-hmm. can go wrong in a machine or a body mm-hmm. and it needs to be fixed yeah. and it's going to cause problems yeah. and yes something like the end of your finger or your toe can actually impact your day really massively yeah um i haven't felt my big my left big toe in seven months and it's driving me insane and it's having serious in consequences all the way up mm-hmm. mechanically mm-hmm. and it's driving me insane but going back then to what sean said about stress in general mm-hmm. stress is one of the biggest killers of people really is yeah and if you have any kind of increase in, in stress levels you have your adrenaline you have cortisol you have all these hormones rushing around mm-hmm. unnecessarily a lot of the time because especially if you're suffering from anxiety you're just in this kind of response especially people who are traumatized as well they're always in this fight or flight autonomic nervous system sympathetic nervous system drive mm-hmm and that has negative effects on the body long term when it's when it's there for no real reason. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine that's that's not even a small thing that's going wrong yeah. in the body. That's massive. Yeah. And then the consequences that has on our tissues, on our joints, on our um, function, on our brains, massive effects. And then in turn will generate those thought loops of thinking, what's wrong with me? There's something wrong. What's this pain? What's this feeling? Why do I feel anxious? Why am I nervous? And then you're just constantly stuck in in that kind of process so yeah it's interesting that we when we feel different or we feel pain we automatically say what's wrong yeah um and i was thinking this the other day because um guys i got a cold for once (laughs) um so yeah i woke up with a cold and i had to go to work obviously and i wasn't gonna go on like i thought about calling in sick and i was like i'm not calling in sick that's not what i do i was like i'm going in and i started saying to myself no say that you feel different I feel different. It's like, or I am. I feel different today, rather than yeah. I feel sick or I feel this. Or I, you know what I mean? Because that's like negative straight away. It's like I feel different. And then on the way to, to work, I just kept going. I am strong. I am healthy. I am strong. <laughs> I am healthy. And I'm, I'm, I mean, you pr- if you saw me walking down the, <laughs> the the road, and I I tend to talk to some of my mates um, on the way to work sometimes, you know, as a, as a buzz. And I send them a video now. <laughs> I was just doing a northern accent. I am, I am healthy. I am strong. <laughs> <laughs> a bit weird, but anyway. Did it work? Yeah. Once I got in, he was in there. You didn't know us. I was sick with did oh, you? Oh, really? You know, I didn't, I didn't realize. Yeah. No. Nobody knew. Nobody. So. That's because he is strong. He Ooh, is healthy. Oh. I am strong. Take it or leave it, mate. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, so anyway, ended up, because uh, you, you, I got up and thinking, oh, you know, I don't know if I can do this. That's how it always starts, right? Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, in a sales Story job. Story of my life. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Story of everyone's life, in some <laughs> sense. But, um, yeah, just started thinking, you know, in a sales job, because you have to be high energy and not mm-hmm. be, you know. So, anyway, like I said, I started with the, the positive affirmations and not really focusing on the negative. And then when I got in, I ended up having a great day. Do you know? It's just pushing past that, that difficult part and then convincing yourself that you're fine it really depends on how you start off your day doesn't yeah. it really yeah but th- it's interesting when we do think that pain or 
things that we experience, physical sensations, are wrong. That is really interesting. Because it's never wrong in, in all the reading I've done and the spiritual kind of insights and practice that I've done. It's If there's physical sensations in the body, usually there is an emotional or, I suppose, a, a mind connection to those physical sensations. So we could try change our view around to being what's right, what's what's this telling me here and listening to our bodies more um, because they they do keep the score they they genuinely do and issues in your tissues and all that there's books <laughs> there's books and books on this stuff what's the score in your game here what do you mean Score. I'm minus 200 million <laughs> nil <laughs> Sharon 200 million nil <laughs> uh, mind winning <laughs> but um, for all for most of my life I've had chronic pain chronic pain um, didn't have childhood memories up until recently tapped into those memories realised certain things went wrong in my body at certain points in time that were difficult for me having mad nightmares lately waking up and like a pain that had been bothering me for three days suddenly kind of goes away after these insane nightmares of reliving something that might have happened like it's we I think we need to look into or I suppose listen to our bodies more and and also being aware of what is actually going on at that moment or what might have happened preceding a certain pain or a certain cold or something that's that's gone wrong a, a headache a migraine I, now there can't be a giant Eddie Rockets um, a giant Eddie Rockets I have not a, gi- a giant <laughs> Eddie Rockets milkshake I don't know I d- I'm not saying it's the problem for everything there are organic causes for things but a lot of autoimmune diseases especially are rooted in emotional problems and traumatic experiences that sometimes we can't even remember so I think if there's anything I want to get across to anyone today is listen to your bodies and don't don't be going around going oh well I should I should do this should be doing this I didn't do that could have done that if your body didn't want it didn't want to do it so yeah any thoughts guys yeah go on Sean I want I want to I want to bring in the philosopher on this one and 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 the the meditator because because a lot of the a lot of it is to do with your concepts of what the pain is who's experiencing the pain what what viewpoint or perspective we can come at it at so yeah just <laughs> I'm throwing a, a difficult question at you I know but just what are your thoughts uh, um, well uh, I don't really know um, when I meditate there's a lot of uh, stuff about my posture that's happening and I'm sort of yeah, same. obsessing over like how I'm sitting you know I should be uh, obsessed about my posture and like anyway but when I meditate it's like really obvious so it's like on my mind constantly so and when you when you when you meditate you're supposed to like have a you're supposed to be you're supposed to sit up straight and so that's like oh am I doing this right am I doing this right so it's just like a constant theme but uh, the whole goal of meditation is just to accept reality as it is right right there and then mm-hmm. so it's about just you know recognizing that you're having the thought of I'm not sitting up straight, this isn't right, this is uncomfortable, this is uncomfortable, this is uncomfortable. And just going, yes, mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable, and that's what it is. You know, stop trying to change it. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> eventually, after going through that process for like, I don't know, 45 minutes, you might just settle into the reality of, of the discomfort and, uh, and just be with it. And then 
somehow that sort of just is okay. Yeah, I felt that in yoga the other night, actually. But then again, I had taken some substances (laughs) (laughs) funny that you mentioned acceptance I'm back from a yoga yoga meditation retreat in Barcelona last week and acceptance was the main thing the main theme of what I I came back with from that not because they were teaching it but it was something that I observed and witnessed within myself and it was to accept that in certain yoga postures I might not be able to do them perfectly which is just an idea of you know it's, it's it's whatever works for us accepting what my body can and can't do at any particular moment accepting that if I'm meditating and, and the thoughts are going mad at one stage accepting that that's why I'm doing it that's why it's there the whole posture I was very uncomfortable sitting in meditation because we were doing hour-long meditations mm. and yeah with a gentle warm-up at the start to help you sit that way but I was like oh I'm so I need to move I need to move and the mind just goes mad and starts talking and talking and talking but if it if it wasn't talking I'd still I, I still sat there I still managed to stay in that seated position for an hour the talking was unnecessary but acceptance was huge for me over there so when you accept like you said what I found when I was accepting things things got a lot easier there was no resistance I think if Settling you're re- into it, as Sean said, it was nice to put. Yeah, and I think if you're resist, it's the same with pains and same with medical problems or issues in the body. If you resist, they'll only get worse. And if we f- fear them, they get worse. Um, yeah, just to add, um, I always well these days I'm I'm big, I I don't know if it's a good idea to do this or not, but I'm sort of separating the mind from the thing that's sort of you know. Mm, viewing things mm-hmm. you know so the, you know, the ego mind and then what do we call the other the witness fundamental thing the witness or awareness behind awareness yeah awareness. that's what we said last week mm-hmm. so but even that if any label at all isn't going to capture it, but we know what yeah. you're pointing yeah. towards yeah um mm. so if you're if you're if you're you, you sort of um the, all the th- all the thoughts are from the ego mind obviously and they're just like constant, constant, constant. And then suddenly, and then eventually they sort of like uh, recede and then you sort of just have the awareness. And so it's the getting in touch with that awareness somehow, magically. Uh, well, you can do it through substances, I guess. And it just sort of happens for me now, but it mm-hmm. takes, it can take a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's almost like I have to wear out, my mind has to wear itself out yes. for like, I don't know, 45 minutes before it then sort of just, that's the mind just sort of recedes and then the awareness is sort is just sitting there and it's, mm. so that's I don't know I had nice. the in, in, in yoga the other night um, in, in yin I was in some postures I hadn't done for a long time and they were very painful um, but as you said when I settled into it it was for the first time I started to question this is going to sound very odd but um, so when my eyes were closed I could obviously picture the pain points in my body and then I realized that that's a mental projection of what I think is happening. And it's like, so I can feel it, but, but it's almost like my, I'm feeling it through my mind or through my perception rather than it, it actually existing in a, in a, how do I explain it again? But here's what I would question there mm. is like, does it exist without the because the brain is all feeling of know? course you know? and this is and this it, it was the first time that I questioned whether if you could 
dis- like because I've I've learned how to disconnect from <laughs> thinking a little bit now, and especially when I have had some substances or so at lucky points in time when I'm doing yoga or meditation where I'm thought free, but never I never even questioned the fact that that actual physical pain could be detached from completely and just be like okay that's there when i think about it but if i don't even attend to it does it settle and 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 it seems to be that if you don't give it attention it can settle but obviously it's it's demanding your attention you know what i mean it's going this hurts so um but, but i wonder is is it is that pain you have is that tension yeah is yeah, yeah mental tension no no, no it's, oh, it's 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 Tension in the mind, creating physical tension in the that's, body. That's kind of what I was playing around with the other night, where it was like, okay, I've got a massive pain in my hips when I have my legs crossed and pushed sideways and one on top of the other and in this very strange posture. And then it was a question of, okay, with my eyes closed, my body as I would normally perceive it, perceive it is, is, is gone. And now it's just a mental image of what my body is doing with my eyes closed if I'm making any sense at all here and so I thought that okay well I can kind of picture these points in my in my head where this pain is and then I realized that everything that when when our eyes are open and walking around is ultimately my or it's an illusion so with my eyes closed I've literally just cut off one of my senses and I'm now dealing with the the internal feeling rather than just a vision type thing. Again, I'm probably stumbling a little bit here. So it was, okay, I've got pain. And and as you said, is that an emotional thing? Is that an attachment thing that's then presenting itself in the physical body? And I, I think it is. I'm just, I'm just obviously need to explore this a lot more because I'm not. It's the first time it, I really felt anything different like that. So um, I'll have to try and get into more uncomfortable positions again and work through it. Um, sorry, I've been chatting for a while. I want to bring in Ahmed on something. Mm-hmm. So I know very, very little about Islam and Muslim stuff. Mm-hmm. Are you practicing or are you uh, just kind of moved away from it a little bit? Or what's your position? Um, I, I am practicing. Cool. So I try to pray five times a day. Five sometimes. times. Yeah. Man, it must be hard to fit that in. Like Sometimes it yeah. is, yeah. Um, yeah. With your schedule here and the the way that the daylight hours change over here, because mm. that's what our prayer times depend on. The way that changes, it really messes up your schedule. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, obviously, Muslims, uh, we are supposed to fast for a month um, during the month of Ramadan. And that's only when the sun is up, though, isn't it? Sorry, only, yeah. yeah, only when the sun yeah, is up. From dawn to dusk, yeah. basically. From it must feel great after that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have to take it slow. I mean, mm. uh, when you break your fast, obviously because you're not supposed to eat or drink anything. Oh, right. Yeah, so no water, no food. Um, so do you get up before the sun and eat? and Or do you, yeah, you do? Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's kind of, uh, it, it's it's said to be a very auspicious time to eat. Uh, you mm. know, that breakfast is very, very nutritious for mm. you. Um and yeah, so basically you're supposed to wake up uh, before sunrise, eat uh, your breakfast and then start your fast and then get on with the rest of your day. And then when the sun sets, you break your fast with... And uh, does it have to be fully set? Like, is there like rules to that where it's like... Um, so uh, the convenient thing is that most mosques uh, around, 
I mean, all over the world, actually, mm. they, they give out their timetables that, uh, you know, I mean, science has um, advanced in such a manner that they can predict when the sun is going to set and so okay. on and so forth. You know, they know when the sun, yeah. when the sunset time is. So according to that, they give us a timetable that, okay, at this time, we're going to call the call to prayer. And mm. that is when we you know, ba- basically break our fast. I've done a little bit of fasting myself, but mm-hmm. ne- but but not the sunrise to sunset. But mm-hmm. I've done a week with just water, right? Um, with no no food in the time. Okay. And and what I've what I've personally found is that you slow down quite a lot, mm-hmm. but you're clearer at the same yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. And it's a very it's a nice feeling mentally, mm-hmm. but a difficult feeling physically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the the difficult the the more difficult aspect of it over here was. Uh, Last year it was from mid-May to mid-June, so really long day hours. Mm. Um, so oh, the yeah, longest fast oh, was uh, <laughs> around 19 hours. Oh, Jesus! And uh, the sleeping schedule was completely messed up because um, I was doing my internship at the time. Uh, so I used to get up at six to go to work, uh, come back <coughs> home around five-ish, sleep for a couple of hours, two and a half hours, wake up, break my fast. Uh, go to the mosque, pray, uh, and basically during that month we have special night prayers and whatnot. So I used to come back home at 12, get another two hours of sleep, wake up, have breakfast, and then get another two hours two hours of sleep. And so my schedule was completely messed up. So it was broken six hours broken up into three sections. Wow! And then full day of work wow. and traveling on Dublin bus, taking the 75. Uh, yeah. It, it was mad, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was reading about some of the ancient reasons for fasting, and I was reading about um, was it Socrates or Plato? Damn it! I wish I could remember this stuff. Um, I think it was one of my cousins. It was one of Christo's cousins, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, anyway, I think it was it was either Socrates or Plato. But he heard there was a um, he heard that there was a um, religious school mm-hmm. and he was very famous at the time oh it was Pythagoras yeah he's <laughs> one of my cousins <laughs> <laughs> so Pythagoras heard that there was a um, religious school and he was already very famous for his for his mathematics mm-hmm. and he he went to the school assuming they'd let him in and they're like no in order to get in here you have to fast for a month mm-hmm. and no food at all for the month and he was like yeah but like do you know who I am? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we don't care. You can't get in here unless you fast for a month. Yeah. And then he did it. And then he, um, he basically thanked them when he got in. He's like, thank you so much. Like I didn't realize, um, that it was an, it was an experience rather than an I- like an idea that I could capture with concepts. You, you have mm-hmm. to, you have to go through it and whatever realizations come with that. And then when he started his own school, his criteria was you could not, I wouldn't take you on as a student unless you fasted for 40 days. Now, I tried to do a week and it almost bloody killed me. So I can only imagine what it's like being that strict on yourself for, for a month. But is there palpable, I'm trying to find the right word. I would only I'll only use the word spiritual again, but is there that that feeling of something deeper going on within you while during that period of time? Well, um, initially, it's just the fact that when you do start fasting, 
your body is just screaming at you like where's the food <laughs> yeah you know like why are you not feeding me mm. um so in the first week or so first three days i would say first three to four days your body is just screaming at you every day asking for water asking for food and whatnot after that your body just settles down and just gets used to the routine mm. and it's quite interesting how the body does that i mean it, it happens every year to us mm. and after after some time we, we just get very used to it mm. and we just don't bother with you know e even if someone's eating around us it's just fine um the other aspect is obviously the spiritual aspect uh, where we believe that it brings us closer to god and you know helps us feel uh, it ma makes us more charitable to other people you know what uh, the poor people go through and so on and appreciation. so appreciation exactly so the appreciation for the food and for all the blessings that we have in this life it's very stoic yeah yeah, yeah. so that's another aspect to it mm -hmm. And then it's also a joyous time because the way it happens is that every day when we break our fast, all families and friends, they come together and have a feast for for an entire month. Every day, someone's calling a party at their home. Someone's calling a party in this hall. You eat so like much that. that your stomach hurts because <laughs> you're so big to shrink. Or so, um, some people think that we actually lose a lot of weight, but it's actually the complete opposite. Yeah. 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 Metabolism would be like, what the fuck is going exactly. on? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So especially in the middle east and in india and uh all these you know uh, subcontinental regions and mm. um, we just hammer food once the time opens like when you can actually <laughs> break your fast we just eat everything mm. and then we can't move for two hours we're just lying there you know with her in a food coma basically and you actually end up gaining weight mm. over the month because of that mm -hmm. um it was only when I fasted here that I lost weight for the first time in my life. Because of the longer days. Because of it was basically because of the longer days, and I actually started looking after my diet and whatnot, mm -hmm. making sure that I re eat right. But yeah. then the time was so short that it was just five hours of you being able to eat that you just can't eat enough calories yeah. in that amount in of that time. time. Yeah. Your body just doesn't accept it, mm. and so that is why you know I was in a caloric deficit, so I, mm. I lost weight. So. <laughs> So well. you do find it deepens your practice. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, um, you In feel the ways it's supposed to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It makes you more disciplined and whatnot, um, and just brings you closer to God, and you know, improves your appreciation of, of your blessings and whatnot. Mm -hmm. This is a difficult question because if someone asked me this, I wouldn't know what to say. But what's the tenets of your faith? What's the like? What's the feeling or belief or, or structure that that you feel is working for you? Because for me, I had to throw out Christianity. Mm -hmm. And then I had to learn about what different philosophers and uh, speakers, so to say, were, were saying. And then when that got really deep, then I could see the messages within Christianity. Mm -hmm. And now I've come back to Christianity with a different, deeper understanding of it. Mm -hmm. But also Hinduism as well, and also Buddhism yeah. as well, mm -hmm. and also other faiths. I haven't actually, actually downloaded the Quran. That's, that's, yeah, I have the Quran on my phone. Mm -hmm. But I haven't actually got around to, to listening to any of it yet. So mm -hmm. I'm interested in reading it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me more. Um, there's loads of signs that they talk about in the book, um, you know, about the world, how, how the world was created and so on. And uh, the stories of the prophets are mentioned in it as well. And basically, it's it's everything is there for us to contemplate on. Um, and, you know, just... <coughs> think about all the blessings that we've been given again and uh, why it's, it's certain there are certain things that uh, might not make sense to us but then we're asked to believe in God 
mm. you know and that's that's just your the faith aspect of that it faith. how much do you believe in god that mm. it, are you willing to you know just let certain things go mm. um certain things are not explainable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i mean we know that the big bang happened the world was created because of the big bang and so on but then why again why did it happen like how who who made yes. it happen you know exactly yeah. So there's so many aspects to it, and this is just such a deep end that you know mm. you can just. Oh go yeah, yeah, of course. And I don't want to like <laughs> just bombard you with questions because I would. Um, but one of the things for faith for me had had changed from whether it was you had to believe in something without any evidence to it became act from a place of no belief and don't get attached to new beliefs. And it's not it's not this atheistic feeling of um, I don't believe in anything. Mm-hmm. It's that any anything, any thoughts that you have whatsoever are going to be wrong. And so how do you act from a place where everything you could do is wrong? Again, this goes into non-duality and, and dualistic language. So if I say something like, um, I think I'm going to go to the shops tomorrow, that's not necessarily acting out of faith because you're invoking time you're invoking an idea of that you're in control that you decide what mm-hmm. you're going to do at, at a separate date um it, it's this whole kind of thought and belief structure that seems so so basic to our everyday going about the world that we're in control we're making the decisions and there's there's such a thing as time there's such a thing as me there's such a thing as the shops shops aren't me and I'm going to go to the shops at a later date all of that to me has come into a position where that's actually a lack of faith I know this sounds crazy because I'm not living that life but I've been reading and learning about people like a guy called Sri Ramana Maharshi who basically said if you're in the moment and not thinking about the future and not thinking at all then you are living a life of faith because you're trusting that everything is okay even though you don't understand anything now i'm not totally negating your faith or anything i'm just explaining the the different ways that we can come at this stuff from mm-hmm. so many different angles and perspectives like no one has a clue what's going on mm-hmm. and i think it's, it's fascinating that there's so many different routes and ways to kind of get this deeper understanding of everything anyway what do you think sean <laughs> <laughs> right, i love throwing right, you in yeah, the deep end yeah. <laughs> um yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I agree with a lot of what you you said there. But um, somebody told me that um, is it Islam means it translates as surrender. Is that right? Mm, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's peace. One of peace. 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 Yeah. Okay, okay. We got that one wrong then. Nice. Peace means surrender. No, Islam means peace. Islam means surrender. Peace, peace. Is there any element of of the idea of surrender in uh, Islam? submission you could Sub- say submission you know. yes um because i say if you submit then you'll find peace but yeah it means peace that's yeah but it's like in my in my mind that that was like surrender to the present moment or something you know just surrender to what is yeah. sort of thing I'm yeah. Looking, yeah. looking at that through like a buddhist sort of lens i suppose um but, um so when you pray what what's what are you doing that's what i was going to ask yeah um Okay, so basically we recite the verses of the Quran uh, during the prayer and uh, we basically pray in Arabic 
Mm-hmm. So we remember, we basically memorize the verses and so on, and try to learn the meanings of it as well. Um, and I did try to take some Arabic courses to understand what the words mean and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. So basically, Arabic is a very mathematical language, you could say. Oh, similar to um, the the Jewish language as well. Yeah. That the, the the letters are have numerical value, like A is one, B is two, kind of thing. Um, in a way, yes. Mm-hmm. But but more of what I'm trying to say is that um, when you when you start reading Arabic and uh, you start learning, uh, basically. If, if you read a sentence and you see that the end of a word has a certain ending sound, so there's three possible ending sounds. It's a, u, or e. Mm-hmm. And each one has a different connotation to it. Um, so if the ending sound is an u, uh, an action is being performed by the word being mentioned. Mm. If there's an a, uh, it's uh, being acted upon. And if it's an e, uh, it is the detail of something that's happening. Wow, that's wow. cool. Uh, so the ending sound completely changes the uh, meaning of the word or the sentence. And uh, mispronunciation of certain words... Could make a big difference. Could make a very <laughs> big difference of what you're saying. Uh, so I am being shit on. <laughs> 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 so yeah, something... Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, it, it's... So in that sense, that that's what I'm trying to get at. But Arabic is a very mathematical language in in the sense that you you can understand the context of things based on the order they're being presented on, mm. and that is how also some people would take a certain quote from the Quran and then misquote it, and then they would not tell you what the context ah. of that was. So, so then that, that leads to that uh, fundamental, be- I'm not fundamental, uh, extremist belief. Exactly, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They don't take the context of it. So okay. th- that's what basically and it's the happened. same with Christianity. Yeah, they don't take the context at all. And they ignore half the verses and they just pick out select one. Exactly. Well, this so is the thing with language, as we always say, right? It's yeah. just easy, so easily misinterpreted because yeah. there's a know. verse in the Bible that goes, I think it's something <laughs> along the lines of unless you hate your father and your mother you cannot get into the kingdom of god you don't hear that one quoted very often do you <laughs> <laughs> no one no one no one brings that one up like ah we'll skip over that <laughs> we don't know what jesus meant there so let's just pretend he didn't say it <laughs> yeah yeah um and then is there is there I always get to I like conspiracies it's a it's <laughs> it's, it's an unhealthy habit of mine because then like I'll get sucked into deep in a hole. I don't tell anyone else about it because I want to make sure I'm not an idiot. So I keep going until I find out I am an idiot and then I let <laughs> it go and no one knows that I was crazy for a while. <laughs> or else I keep going deeper and deeper and deeper until I realize, shit, there's something to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the, the bankers around the world, basically. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, I've totally lost track of what I was going to say there. Anyway. <laughs> um, conspiracies. Oh yeah, the, the, the numerical value of the words, to me that means that you could actually encode a lot of messages within what you're saying and and so you could be saying one thing but there could be a numerical mathematical secondary meaning is that completely off base uh i i think so okay yeah because uh, i've never come across something like that mm-hmm. uh, in the arabic language okay yeah. damn it <laughs> i was hoping like for geometric metric patterns and numbers and stuff like that like the word i don't know allah might have a like a secondary mathematical <laughs> symbol-y shape type thing <laughs> oh, well. I, know, I haven't come across any of that okay. uh but yeah it, it's it, it's it's a beautiful language and how they're able to express ideas and whatnot in many different ways and basically any word can be broken down into a base word 
and uh, the meaning can be derived from that. So there could be many variations of a word, uh, but then because of those variations, they'll mean different things. Mm -hmm. uh, but then the base word is the same, and then that's how you derive the meaning of so. So can you speak it pretty well? Um, a little bit because I lived in Saudi Arabia, I had to interact with a few Arabs yeah. here and there. I did go to an Indian school because I am Indian, mm. um, so I never really needed to interact that much with Arab people. But there's quite a lot of different. Um, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. There's, there's quite a lot of different religions in India too, isn't there? With Hinduism and Muslims and so on and so yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. There's there's many many religions in India. Uh, Do they get along? Uh, certain areas, yes. Certain okay. areas, no. There are extremists in mm. every part of the world. Mm -hmm. So. You know, every, every country has its own problems and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know that Pakistan split off mainly because of a, a religious yeah, divide. Yeah, so yeah. Th the main reason that Pakistan was formed was to uh, provide a country where they could practice their religion freely. And even even the Pakistan... Was that Muslim people? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So it was predominantly for uh, an Islam... Predominantly for Muslims, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, but then again, there are Hindus living in Pakistan as well, near the borders mm -hmm. to India and so on and so forth. Um, and even in India, I mean, you have so many Muslims, you have over 200 million Muslims. So mm. uh, India is a big country, so mm -hmm. we have over a billion people anyway. Mm. So Catching up on China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully soon. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's nice. how it is, yeah. And where do you see yourself long term, or you don't know? Um, hopefully here. I don't know. Maybe. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's I like it here. Really? Yeah, it is. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you sure? He's just saying that. Don't don't mind <laughs> K him. Kidney fault. She means a hundred thousand welcomes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. we're a welcoming lot sometimes. Ah yeah, yeah. Most ah, of yeah. Us. We're grand. Most of us. Do you know yeah. what I found interesting? I love how we can speak for like six million people. We're a good we're lot. We're great. <laughs> <laughs> and stupid. Five million. Up. Yeah. There's um, not even six million. There's nowhere near six million here. Anyway. You mentioned earlier about uh, being grateful for your food and thanking your food and. Mm. That was something that I had to do for the first time last week in Barcelona on the yoga retreat. Um, it was community living, so mm -hmm. someone would cook every day up yeah. a big load of food. Yeah. And we'd all stand around, hold hands, and whoever cooked the food would say something about it, and we'd thank it before mm -hmm. we, or thank the source and, and be grateful for our food. Mm. And we'd chant. We'd chant an om or sing a song before right. we ate. Right. And it was something that initially I was like, whoa, this is weird. But then <laughs> then I loved it. I was like, yeah, let's thank her. Let's thank everything. Yeah, let's yeah, be grateful and yeah. give me your hands. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> and then we were holding hands and we were feeling connections between each other through heartbeats and pulses and just creating connections and deeper connections with people. And I, I really enjoyed it. I did. And I was like, oh, we get to chant now. And mm. I love the chanting. And every it was multicultural. So there was lots of different cultures and um, religions there. Um, so each person had a different chant or message to bring to the table. One guy mm. focused on chakra colors in the food. Mm -hmm. One, um, I think he was from, where was he from? He was Mexican, but he spent a lot of time in India and he did something different as well. And it was lovely to see the differences. And I almost started thinking, what would I do mm -hmm. if I cooked? And what would I say about the food? And, you know, and I was like, this is really nice. And I think the whole community living where we're washing up and we all washed our own dishes. We all, dr someone dried them. It was all very much, let's come together. And I felt it was a lovely way of being um, and living and stress, less stress, I suppose, living that way. So that was a wonderful experience. Community living peeps, <laughs> the way to go. Yeah, like we, um, when we have food all the time, it's very hard to, 
like you don't even you just put, shovel it into your mouth all day mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah. you're like I think I'll have a Snickers kind of thing and uh, <laughs> and it's it's only when you sit back and think what would it be like if I couldn't get access to this for a few days what was it like in the famine uh-huh. and then maybe fast you're like okay let's be a little bit more like this stuff becomes who I am uh-huh. let's, let's, let's treat it with a little bit more respect hey? anyway exactly like that's why I think it's important to practice uh, absence of things yes so the practice of fasting the practice of even like I've practiced a little bit now people think I'm mad for doing this but I've I practice with sleep deprivation sometimes as well just to give me that value back into for sleep when I do get it you know you're crazy first <laughs> no, a lot of people will stay up and they don't value it and then they get into a toxic routine but and wonder why their body's feeling bad <laughs> yeah exactly um but then that could be a perception and they could just feel like their body's feeling different you know yeah. It could be, yeah, it could be anything from that or even spending a couple of nights outside. I've seen some people do that, like some really rich guys that have mm. businesses, they just, they actually choose to be homeless. Mm. Yes. Yeah, it's again a very stoic idea, kind of remove what you have so you can appreciate it. So instead of you looking up and trying to see what people above you have and going, mm-hmm. oh, I want, I want, I want, instead you let go of what you have for a period of time and then, and then you're when you come back to it, you're like, oh, I'm so... I have everything I need. I'm so happy and grateful and thankful rather than I want more, you know? Exactly. We have, we, we are so abundant. Yeah. <laughs> We're so abundant in, in everything that we have in life. I mean, I, I'm sh- of course, there are people that are in less fortunate situations, people that are homeless. We are the 1%. <laughs> yeah, the 1%. Um, do you mean the top 1% or le- the, the, the lower? We are the 1% of the world. Like. Oh, we are. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah, God. Um, so yeah, so there's plenty of people that are less fortunate, but I think as long as you have a roof over your head, food in your belly, mm-hmm. that's all you need. Mm-hmm. Yep. All these other things are just so silly, in my opinion. Did you know there was actually, there was a, I read a great article there a couple of days ago um, on The Guardian, and he was talking about there was these studies done on the different classes, so the lower class people that are very le- like misfortunate are poverty-driven then the middle class and the high class that are super rich. And it was like a, the, the happiness scale and how content they are with life. Turns out the middle class are the happiest. The lower class, obviously, because they're missing fundamentals, like a roof overhead and food in their belly. Of course, not surprised there. But surprisingly to a lot of people, not to us, I'm sure, because we understand this, the least happiest were the richest people because you get to a point where you have so much power and you can do anything you want and then you lose your sense of purpose yeah whereas if you're in the middle you're always like i suppose driving towards something but they also compared um the type of job so if you are working in an office and you're doing a sales job you're most likely getting paid than a lot more getting paid more than a lot of people Mm. but you compare that to someone else that's a florist that might not be getting paid as much, but they're happier than the one that's mm-hmm. working in the office. There's yeah. a movie called Happy, it's a documentary, <coughs> and it changed me a lot because I, I went into it thinking I, I know my stuff anyway, obviously I didn't, but um, one, the scene that interested me the most, I can't remember what country it was, it might have been India, but there was this um, there was this man and he pulled a rickshaw. His rickshaw, was, it was just a bar with some passenger behind that's a rickshaw isn't it yeah Yeah. anyway yeah. Uh, he just pulled that all day long for, for like 16 hour day literally running pulling people around all day went home to like uh, his his little house was just basically a tin roof and some tin sides and a mat to lie in with his family there 
and his and his neighbors the man was the happiest man you'd ever meet and he was just like i have my family my neighbors are here we all get on great and you know i'm thankful for my job and my food i was like jesus i actually think i cried a little bit but not out out of shame though it was a little Mm. bit like because i was like jesus what's wrong with me (laughs) you know know, because i was thinking again your identity says if you were in his circumstances you'd be miserable and that's kind of you gotta let because that that that, reason more recently that showed me what i'm addicted to it's not that i couldn't do that of course i could do that but i'm addicted to this lifestyle because I'm used to this lifestyle and I think I deserve this lifestyle and this is how it should be. But but you have to let go of your identity because your identity is going to be challenged your whole life, whether it's your body falling apart, whether it's your husband or wife doing something you don't like or leaving you, or whether it's a million different things, your identity is going to be challenged. And if you can, if you can voluntarily let it go and go into challenging situations, you're going to grow into a person. You're going to realize that your idea of yourself isn't who you are. And when you say stuff like, oh, I couldn't go for a run. I'm not a runner. You're like, Jesus Christ, would you just get out the door and go for go a run? For a run. There, you're, you're running. You're a runner. Like, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Like, yeah, I've no, I just, I, I don't, I don't get any of this. I think ever since, since I was 19, I had that near-death experience. I just don't get any of that other bullshit. Hmm. I don't get it. It's like, we have everything. Like, we've been given this experience, first and foremost. I'm alive. I can look at this. I can look at this. Okay? I'm gone blind. I can listen. Okay. Take that away. What else do I have left? I can touch. Whatever I have, <laughs> I'm going to focus on what I have. You know? Mm-hmm. And everyone should do the same. We're so abundant. We all, we so all, have, our ba- we all have our bad days, of oh, course. Oh, for sure. Of course, of course. But, for like, sure. I think that practicing gratefulness can start off in a weird place where you're like, oh, what am I going to think about here? What am I grateful for? Oh, I'm grateful for my legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it feels fake at first. It is though. And I then think. and then you're like, holy shit. Eventually it becomes real and you're like, I am actually, imagine if I didn't have these. I had you know? to feel it because I started last year at some stage writing down things I was grateful for every day and I was like, saying the same stuff all the time <laughs> you know what I mean family, roof, job and I was like oh, it has to be more than this <laughs> but then it took some kind of crisis moments and everything to actually make me feel the gratefulness for use of my legs use of my arms use of my body uh, functioning mind and Your they big were toe. my big toe <laughs> kill Bill <laughs> I kill really Bill. really miss the <laughs> sensation in my big toe and I was so grateful for that when I had it so it's these things you have to feel them I don't think there's I think they either need to be nearly taken away from you or taken away from you or threatened in some way in order for you to truly feel grateful because I can't, like, I just wasn't feeling every day I got ungrateful for my mum and dad. I, I knew I was. Do you know what I mean? But unfortunately, I do think something, it always, something has to happen in order to make you truly feel that gratefulness. No, you're right there. Definitely something has to the happen. Feeling. And yeah, and it, it can be some sort of traumatic experience or deep experience, um, whether it's through meditation, Sean. Or a near-death experience. Like, for me, definitely, the near-death was the biggest kick in the arse. Absolutely. Um, And, Ahmed, I don't know if you know much about psychedelics. Um, And I don't know what your opinion of is of them being a Muslim. And I know it's it's haram. Mm. Um, For those who don't know what a haram is, do you want to explain? Uh, Basically, not allowed, in simple terms. Uh, Something that you shouldn't be doing. Same in, Bud- same in Buddhism, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so psychedelics, drugs, uh, alcohol um, is not allowed um, in the 
religion and uh, using them. And you're only allowed to use something when it's medically required for you to use it. So, for example, I've had two surgeries, so I had to go on morphine. Uh, okay. And I had the best time of my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was high as a kite. But yeah, it was only for, you know, just to make that pain go away for that amount of time just after the surgery. So, yeah, that was it. Well, oh. psychedelics, I think, Krista, you're probably going to say this, they make you feel things. So <laughs> things that people say to you that are just simple logic, like, oh, you should be grateful for this or... um thinking is not helping you and your fears are, are irrational and you're like oh I know this but it doesn't help me but the, but <laughs> so the knowledge doesn't help but then the psychedelics yeah. come in you go oh okay yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel it <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like shit <laughs> like, imagine if the planet had a, a means of communicating with you <laughs> and it left something on the planet by which it can do that Okay, that's what I believe the mushrooms are there for it's, the, the, it's a reminder for of the abundance in the gift of what we have here on earth and i know right now because I, I do know that islam they do follow science to a degree as well don't you guys mm-hmm. so you know as more of the truth comes out about psychedelics and how they have they do have a medicinal value it, it is coming out slowly mm-hmm. but surely mm-hmm. i do think that islam might kind of see it from a different perspective it seems to be that Buddhism, I, I've been reading some of their, um, I think it's their eight, Eightfold Path and things like that. And one of them is um, about not taking any, any substances like that. Um, but I found a different interpretation of it. Because it's my agenda. <laughs> <laughs> and it was that you don't let yourself be taken by or become intoxicated by a substance. And so from my agenda interpretation of that is that you never become addicted to the substance where you have that craving for it and that you can't be without it mm-hmm. and there then you can use it as a tool responsibly yeah it's like having one drink of alcohol every five weeks yeah. or something mm-hmm. rather than someone who's like i i can't go out without having a drink one is that you're intoxicated and taken by the substance and the other one is where you're actually responsibly using something um, now, alcohol is kind of bad for you pretty much at all times. But uh, we've been told we got to go here, so I'll yeah. try and finish my thoughts real quickly. Um, well, that goes for food as well, right? Moderate everything. Addic- humans are addicted to everything, including our ideas our, of ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, our, th- our thoughts, and everything about us isn't real. Forget yourself. we got to go. Listen Run. to your Run. Body. Love you guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye.